Welcome to the Consumer Rundown Podcast, your destination for the people, companies, and trends transforming today's consumer markets. We are your hosts. I'm Penny. And I'm Dimitri. On today's episode, we talk to Brandon Snower, the founder of Layafray. Brandon left his Wall Street job, found fashion brand. We talk about the brand that he's building, the community he wants to build, and the challenges he's facing as a founder. Brandon, thank you for joining us. Can you take a step back and take us to the moment when you decided to leave Wall Street and pursue a career in fashion? What sparked your interest? When I was working in finance, I knew that it wasn't going to be a long-term career for me. And I didn't know, A, I was going to leave finance that quickly. Two, I didn't know I was going to become an entrepreneur. And three, I didn't know I was going to be in fashion. It kind of went, I know this isn't for me. What am I going to do next? I was on YouTube and talking to friends saying, what's my next step? What job am I going to get next? It wasn't going to start a company was my first instinct. In the interim of me trying to consider what I'm going to do, I had this idea just being in New York and being someone who enjoyed clothing and always particular about my style and taste. I wanted to see if there was an opportunity to do something in fashion. And then I did more research and I saw this hole or gap in the market from a classic menswear, which was my style, being surrounded by all these cool streetwear brands and more non-classic brands. I love them, but I never wore any of them. When I was looking at the marketing and branding the community that they were building, it wasn't for me, but I wanted to be a part of it. I just didn't like the clothes that they were, or it wasn't my taste of clothes. But I saw this gap of why can't we just bring that kind of swagger, attitude, and community to a complete industry that doesn't really do that as well. It's not really community focused. It's more product driven. So I wanted to implement that. And I just started building and building. And then I actually researched more of the brands in the classic menswear space. And then I said, I think this is going to be something. Let me just continue to do it. And two years later, I officially launched. So it took me a while to figure everything out. What gave you that confidence? Was it just a gap in the market or belief that if you pursue this, you give it all your passion, all your energy, you're going to be successful? Something that really instilled confidence in me was my experience working in Wall Street. Well, I was the first one in and the last one to leave every single day for about three to six months. I remember I would turn on the lights and I would turn off the lights because I had to study for the SIE, the Series 79, the 63, and I had to do the work and I had to learn exactly what to do at my actual job, which was extremely demanding and cutthroat. And you're working a lot. So that entire experience, basically hell for me, was the best thing that possibly could have happened to give me the confidence to say, if I could put up and learn and be really, really good at something like this, and I wasn't that interested in it, imagine what I could do in fashion, which I didn't know anything about. So I was super excited about it. So that was the belief in me to say, I just spent a year doing that. I can literally do anything. You mentioned that it took you about two years to get Leia Frey off the ground. Walk us through the steps between the initial point of saying, I'm interested in starting something fashion. Two years later, being able to launch and generate revenue. What did that process look like? Yeah, it's, it's a quite the journey. So the first step was Google. Once you dig in the rabbit holes of different pages of like, what's the supplier? I didn't really know 
what suppliers were, how they operated, how to talk to them, how to find them. And then you have the factories and then you learn you have to make a website. And then there's all these different softwares for website platforms. And then you find out there's all these integrations for websites. And then you find out there's tariffs, freight, and then you put that all together. And so the first year was every mistake you can possibly make. I found a factory. It wasn't great. It was in India. Not to say all factories in India are bad. It's just my experience. I didn't choose the right one. I didn't understand that I had to test the fabric. So I made the bulk order. When I got the bulk order, all the shirts bled in the wash because I never washed them. And so I couldn't sell them. Photo shoots, I learned not to use my friends to hire a really good photographer. I didn't do any of that. And that was like the very lowest point. I just spent this much money, spent this much time, a full year, basically not doing anything correctly. I had to tell myself, all right, I'm going to learn, iterate and reflect and just do this all over again and do it really well this time. The next year was me doing the opposite. I understood how to speak to factories. I didn't go to India to meet people. I actually flew to Portugal by myself, was there for a month, was literally knocking on doors and going factory to factory, pitching them my brand. And so that was like a full year of me doing that. Now iterate the website, design the logos, but iterate on the graphic design and then launch. So that was like two years of the journey. And then now the journey is doing everything and I'm still learning to actually grow community, build new product, forecast inventory, raise money, all these certain things that come after just all that. That's quite a journey. I want to talk about the inspiration for your designs. You describe Blair Frey as a fusion of New York ambition and European flair. How do you balance those two influences in your designs? My experience just growing up and also my experience as a young professional and a young adult impacted this duality of Europe and New York. I grew up in a pretty European household. My mom was half Italian, half Peruvian. My grandma was not from America. And so everything that I did and the way I grew up, how you communicate with people, how you wear clothing, how you see the world is very different. And I had that, but then I have this New York attitude, ambition, hunger. When you get here and even in college and in movies, you see Wall Street and all these kind of movies and culture, and you're inspired by that. The style of the brand is this go-getter attitude and swagger, but also this like very elegant, simplistic, casual style and aesthetic of Europe. And so that's how we bridge the gap in everything we do. That's really interesting. Let me ask you this. How do you maintain affordability and accessibility without sacrificing quality? We work directly with all of the factories, mills, and suppliers in Europe. I personally went to them and said, hey, we're going to do business together, as opposed to what a lot of brands do is they don't make either make that effort or they just want the easy way out and say, all right, We'll use a middleman to facilitate all of our relationships. But that's just not how I do business. The accessibility and price point, it's part of that. But also, we don't want to have this exclusivity of you can't be a part of our culture and our aesthetic, which is very attractive to a lot of guys out there because we're charging 
an absurd amount of $100, $200 for a shirt. It shouldn't cost that much. The fact that like who we are as a brand, we have this integrity and purpose to make guys look good and feel good and use the best quality and be a part of a culture and aesthetic that resonates with who they are as individuals. And I don't want a price point to exclude them from that. We're not the cheapest, but we're also not the most expensive. And I think there's balance between that. Fashion is ultra competitive. with a lot of different options out there. Why do you think customers buy your products? Is there anything in particular that's resonating with them? They're really attracted to A, the story. I think there's a really great storytelling of the brand and how we visualize the lifestyle and the culture that we want to exemplify. A modern, cool, classy guy. Two is the quality. So we do actually work with some of the best fabric mills, some of the best shirt makers, cut and sew factories in Portugal, exclusively in Portugal. So we're not outsourcing anything. We show the factories. We give a story to people that sign up for our newsletter of this is where your garments are made. These are the stories behind the people who made it. Here's why we're working with them. And then also just the community. We handle and engage with our club members. We don't call them customers to an extent and a level that I don't think a lot of them have ever experienced. Core part of our business model is really facilitating a community with people that's fun, engaging, but also has that emotional connection that resonates with who they are as an individual. Based on the marketing materials that I've seen, you're catering towards, quote unquote, a modern gentleman. What does that mean to you? And what brand values are you indexing towards to serve this type of customer? One of the fundamental reasons why I started the brand was because to be a modern gent or to be a classic guy, there's not one criteria. What a lot of brands do is pigeonhole that to be this old-fashioned, very suave, macho person. And I think what it is, is just being super confident and having the ability to want to learn about different things about culture, want to express themselves, want to be educated in certain things that are really beneficial to just being a person and being a, a man. And that's what we do. Our lifestyle and our aesthetic is educating guys on art, collabing with graphic designers and illustrators. It extends beyond just wearing nice clothes. And I think a lot of brands don't understand that or aren't really doing that to the level that I think they should. How are you telling that story? It's always an iterated process. It's not going to be, this is the story and that's it. And that's something that I've learned over the last two years of building the brand is there's always new stories. For example, in the beginning, when we launched, there's a story about the campaign that we launched, why we launched the contrast shirts. Then our next story was, this is our lifestyle. This is what complements who we are. And that was our limited edition martini collection. So what was that story? How can we package that and market that to be cool, sophisticated, and on brand to who we are as an individual? And then we did a limited edition collab with this finance Instagram account. Then we changed to a very sophisticated European mood board collaboration. And that's a whole different story of having this European feel and this very casual, relaxed sense of style. But everything's on brand. If you look back, there's always a storyline that's, this is the aesthetic of the brand. It's very fun, playful, cool, gentlemanly, and it flows. It's not always 
gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. That's what a lot of brands do. Or cool, cool, cool. There's always like some dynamic flow. And I think over time, people will start to understand that and we can get a range of people to want to be a part of what we're building. In fashion, tastes change. Consumers pretty quickly switch from one brand to another. How do you stay relevant, especially in such a changing market environment where social media can play such an influence of the success or failure of any brand? We're not in the business of trends. And I'll never be. That is core to our business model and who we are as a brand, always maintaining that classic look and style. But in terms of social media and having that trendy aesthetic and engagement, we're just going to be who we are and be super authentic. Naturally, we're a very playful brand. Always like to maintain this very classic gentlemanly aesthetic with that. So it's not always going to be old-fashioned. Every campaign we do, every collection, every launch is going to be very fun or it's going to be very cool and, and, it, and it matches the, the brand of this elegant style. I want to dig a little deeper into the business model. How do you go to market? When I went to market, I didn't really do it that well. What I did was just try to blast everything on LinkedIn. I didn't do any ads. I didn't do any PR. And then when I launched, I didn't really have any more inventory of new products after. So I waited like eight months for a new product. But now I don't really see the brand as going to market once and that's it. We're going to market once a month. Everything we're doing is a go to market. So how can you create an engaging and fun and exciting go to market for everything that you're doing? We're coming out with new products every month and each product has like its own story. That makes a lot of sense. I think today to win, you have to create engaging content. What's your long-term vision for the brand? I think there's a lot of opportunity to really grow the brand into community and club that guys interact with on a level that I don't think they've ever interacted with a fashion brand before. Big picture, we want to build this out into a huge lifestyle brand that isn't just fashion. People that really understand who we are can see that. Obviously, it's just gonna take some time. I talked to a lot of e-commerce first brands. And one of the things they're struggling with is balancing growth while keeping customer acquisition costs low. How are you doing that? We're still in the, the growing phase. We still have to build out our inventory. We still have to build out our brand and that's always iterating. So yes, it's not easy, but we're not spending ads. Our business model and our strategy is pretty different. So we're actually acquiring customers for next to nothing. It's more of how can we just get more of them? And our retention, our LTV is extremely well because of all the things that I've said of, you know, we're building a brand, we're building a community and experience post-purchase that keeps them and makes them not want to leave because it's just so different. Can you talk more about that? How do you acquire customers for next to nothing? Everything is packaged in a way that resonates so deeply on an emotional and psychological level with our consumer that it is natural for them to want to A, buy our products, two, be a part of our community, and three, actually interact and engage with us because of the environment and the atmosphere that we're making for them to be comfortable to do that with us. There's a lot of things that go into it via email, communication, customer service. 
website experience, private events, private password protected pages on the website. Mm-hmm. If you go on our page, there are certain pages that you cannot access because you don't have the password. Guess who has the password? The club members. So it's certain things like that really kind of cultivate this camaraderie around men's fashion, which if you think about it, most guys don't really interact with a fashion brand. They're just buying product and they're just wearing it. Who's to say that they don't want to do that? It's just that, they, that they've never gotten the opportunity. That acquisition is really largely through word of mouth. And it's also largely through just organic channels. So TikTok, I'm huge on LinkedIn. Personal LinkedIn drives a lot of traffic. And then that's another story. There's the brand story. And then there's the personal story of the entrepreneur, which I think is fundamental to growing your business. You can't be an entrepreneur in a creative industry and not show your face. People want to know the founder. People want to get emails and handwritten notes and interact with them on DMs and comments on LinkedIn, et cetera. That's a lot of work, but that's the differentiating factor that is helping us grow at this rate next to nothing acquisition. Do you look at yourself as an influencer or creator-led brand? By no means I consider myself an influencer, and I don't think I ever will. I'm a regular guy that's just creating community. I'm the one facilitating a community and letting everyone else be a part of it. We're doing this for the people and club members that actually love the brand. Let's create the best experience for them. I'm just the one that's curating this. That's a really interesting thought. Do you think that desire to have a community was one of the byproducts of COVID? Because for many out there, their communities got taken away for 18 to 24 months. I could think that that's an effect of COVID, but also it was pre-COVID where I loved the brands that I was wearing, but did I actually feel like I was a part of them? Absolutely not. I never received emails. I never received DMs, interactions, engagements. I was never invited to events from them. But these were the brands that I was wearing. Like, why am I buying them? Why do I feel so proud to rep their brand and their logos when they were doing nothing for me? And then that's when the light clicked of why would I create a brand that doesn't do that? It was kind of just this understanding that if I felt like that, I felt like a lot of other guys would feel like that. And I can give them the opportunity to feel super comfortable reaching out to the founder or reaching out to the team and asking them a question. Interacting with brands is so intimidating, right? Like even walking into stores is intimidating to some brands. It makes you like not want to buy something. It makes you not want to even go in. You can have that level of sophistication, elegance, style, attitude, but also just be very, very friendly and human. And I think that human piece is what's missing in a lot of brands. It's all transactional. And I think that's why we've grown to the level that we have and continuing to do that on an organic scale because people genuinely enjoy feeling like that because who doesn't? Great point. Switching topics. To grow, you need money. How are you fundraising? Predominantly through angel investors. They recognize the value. And a lot of them are actually club members who reach out to us and say, are you raising money? Let me know when you are. We're not even marketing that we are. We've gotten a lot through that. And then other channels that you can strategically put yourself out there. 
I've gotten some investors through TikTok recording an investor meeting and that inherently strikes up interest for other people that have been following my journey as an entrepreneur and saying, I, I want to talk to you. Let's have a meeting. We're not going to build this brand overnight. It's a brand. We're not product focused. That makes a lot of sense. Let me ask you this. What business or philosophical principles drive you? That's an interesting question. When it comes to business, you have to have a lot of integrity. And what that means is if you do business, you do it in person. When I try to have deals or meet new suppliers, I don't like doing it over Zoom. I'm going to fly there and obviously do everything at once. There's all these interactions where I think the fundamental reason is just treat people with respect and pe treat people as they were human beings, not as a transaction. Everything in this world is a give and take. For example, if I'm on your podcast, I'm giving you something, but I'm also taking the fact that I'm on your podcast and you can show it out uh, to people. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter because we're just two people talking and might as well just have this relationship and this is fun and it's exciting and let's just do it. But a lot of people say, okay, I'm not going to do something unless you give me something back. Having that sense of integrity, acumen, emotional intelligence of saying, this is how it's going to be. We're both going to help each other. There's a mutual respect here. How can we both grow together? That's how I do everything. It's not a one-way street. And I think a lot of brands or people always act as a one-way street. And, and I recognize it extremely well. And I don't like dealing with those people or those companies or those, in, those brands. Last question. People want to try Leia Frey. What's the best way to do it? If you're in New York, always happy to hand deliver packages. You can try on stuff. You can come to our office. We also offer free exchanges. We actually don't get a lot of exchanges or returns because there's a product that has to be extremely well-crafted. We work with the best mills. We do work with the best shirt maker in Portugal, the best cut and sew factories for our t-shirts, rugby. You can just order online at layalfrey.com or DM me on Instagram or the company on Instagram or LinkedIn. I respond to everyone. Brandon, thanks again for joining us. It's been a really great conversation. Really interesting to hear your perspective on the fashion industry and Leia Frey. Very insightful. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. This concludes our interview with Brandon Snower of Leia Frey. Thank you all for joining us. Please subscribe for more episodes of the Consumer Rundown podcast and visit us at consumerrundown.com. See you next time.